0: Today, I'm going to share with you the most explosive information I have. If you understand this one chart, you understand, well, why we're screwed. Hello, everyone. Dr. Chris Martinson here with you again. Listen, I just had an opportunity to present what I consider to be my most seminal, most important work to George Gammon's Rebel Capitalist Live audience. There's four or five hundred people in the audience. I'm going to share it with you today. We, had, we got permission to share part of it with you. The rest is going to be for our membership, our subscribers, back at peakprosperity.com. But you have to understand what this data is if you want to know how the future is going to unfold and not be a rat in a cage and understand why you have such an important role going forward to protect yourself, your family, your health, your wealth. All right. Enjoy, everybody. Our next speaker is an extraordinary man. He's a scientist by trade. Uh, He runs peakprosperity.com, and his seminal work is called The Crash Course, which is a series of awesome videos to help you be prepared and be resilient. His awesome book, Prosper, this is literally one of my top 10 favorite books ever. You're gonna love what he has to say. He focuses on the three E's, which are energy, the environment, and the economy. And here to share a bunch of awesomeness with you. Please welcome to Rebel Capitalist Live, my friend Dr. Chris Martinson. I didn't want to lose my cool. the didn't welcome, doctor. We can do, oh. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Wow, hello, everybody. It's so good to be here. Thank you, George, for the invite. I was just down in Belize with George and uh, Robert, the unestimable Robert Helms, one of the best MCs in the business, great all around guy. And thank you for uh, talking about my book. We do have some copies out there, and I'll, I'll uh, be around, of course, to find any of those anybody wants them. Now, today, I am going to talk about energy, energy. I talk about a lot of things. How many people have followed my COVID work? Because I was talking about COVID pretty extensively. Yeah. So that's where a lot of people found me. My background, I am a scientist by training, um, PhD in pathology, left all that behind, went and worked in corporate finance for a while, and left all that behind to develop this story. Now, i got to talk about energy, because energy is everything. If you understand energy, you have a chance of understanding where things are going to go. This is one of the biggest and, I believe, least appreciated stories of our time. Now, this is a chart, one of the most powerful economic charts I have. And I can show it in six different ways, but here's a way. And it's showing across the bottom, that's oil consumption. And up the top, um, we're looking at GDP, you might notice there's a pretty tight relationship there. The more oil you burn, the larger your GDP is. This is absolutely true. It's been true across decades. All this idea, oh, we're decoupling, we don't need energy. No, no, what we did was we outsourced our energy consumption to China and imported the raw and finished goods from China. This is critical. I'm going to show you this chart five more times today. It's that important. Energy is the economy. So... If you get this, you can really understand what's about to come because there's a huge story coming. Now back in 2008 I created this thing called the crash course. It's about 26 video chapters, it's a book, it's however you want to consume it, it's a lot of articles on my website. And I said this, I said the next 20 years are going to be completely unlike the last 20 years. So that gave me a pretty generous window to work in. But by 2028 I mean, things are really speeding up right now. Things are starting to go faster and faster, if you've noticed. So I think I have an explanation for that, or at least something you have to put into your investing thesis arrangement to make sense of where the world is going. I believe that economics collapse is unavoidable now, some definitions. To me, collapse isn't Mad Max by next Tuesday at 8.30 in the morning. That is, certain sectors decline, and they stay that way. That's a collapse to me. It means that the regime of endless printing that Lynette Zhang was talking about, it is over. And I'm going to show you why I think it's over. Eh, maybe it will try it one more time. But you are alive at a period of time when a 50-year experiment with printing, an ill-advised experiment, is going to come to an end. And this, finally, the reason I'm calling this collapse is it means we must live within our means. The United States trade deficit, if it were a country, would be the 19th largest economy in the world this too is coming to an end. So to understand that, we're going to gather around this little campfire right here, back up a little bit in time, and start talking about some stuff. Bretton Woods came to a crashing end August 15, 1971. Not going to go into it too far, but we're all familiar with it in this room. This was the temporary closing of the gold window, which is still temporarily closed, like our transient uh, inflation is still with us. And I'm going to tell you something else happened in 1970, and they're connected events. Most people don't connect these events, but this is really critical. The United States, this is a total oil output in the United States. Green is the lower 48 states, yellow is Alaska, offshore is blue. Lately, you've heard, because the newspapers trumpet it and say, oh, we got a, you know, Saudi America. Not the case. That green stuff down there, this is onshore conventional oil. That's a euphemism for cheap, cheap The red stuff is the tight oil, and it's brilliant, and it's beautiful, and it's amazing, and the technology to get it is astonishing, and the people who work in it are brilliant. But it's not cheap. It's a very different substance. So we have to talk about that. But notice that the United States hit a peak of conventional oil production in 1970. What else was possible in 1970? You could work one person minimum wage and support a household. That is no longer possible. The reason for that is because... At that peak in 1970, our amount of net surplus energy per capita was at an all-time high. It's a very different world today, and if you understand how energy feeds into our lives and our lifestyles, our standards of living, you can understand the world a little better. Now, this guy, evil genius that Kissinger was, established something in shortly after that slamming of the gold window by 1973, he had put in place this thing called petrodollars, so the dollar wasn't backed by gold anymore. It was falling apart. Interest rates got slammed up to 21% on the short end. What do we do? Well, Kissinger figured out how to resolve this by backing the dollar that's been backed by oil ever since. If you are any country in the world until recently and you wanted to buy oil, you had to use dollars to do that. You're Peru and you want to buy oil from the United Arab Emirates, you use dollars. What does that mean? It means you have to have dollars. How do you get dollars? You have to run a positive trade surplus with the United States. That's extraordinary. This was a genius move. These dollars never actually left the United States. The United States would buy oil from Saudi Arabia. It would go from one server to another in New York City. And then Saudi Arabia would use those same dollars to buy treasuries and put it into the US stock market. They never left. It's genius. We print dollars, we get oil. It was amazing. Well, I think we've coming to the end of the petrodollar. This is an enormous, enormous moment. This really caught my attention just a couple months ago. President Biden makes a call. He calls both the president, the heads of the United Arab Emirates and Mohammed bin Salman of Saudi Arabia, makes a call. What happened? Eh, nothing. They didn't pick up the phone. A little embarrassing, right? They both declined to speak to Mr. Biden and now he says, well, I'm flying there anyway. Let's hope they don't keep him waiting in the hotel lobby all day. This is a big change. Who did they take calls from? Putin and President Xi. This is a big moment because if the U.S. dollar is no longer the petrodollar, lots of things change very, very rapidly. This is a big moment. So we have to understand energy. I think this is life-changing information. It was for me. It has been for a lot of people who follow me. And I just would note that gas is now officially more expensive than the movie I Am Legend imagined it would be during the apocalypse. Take that for what you will. Again, this is everything. If you understand the relationship between energy and the economy, and energy isn't just this derivative, because we have more economy, therefore energy shows up. It's not like that. If you have energy, you can have an economy, not the other way around. And this is coming to change. Now, this is the most potent concept about this. It's not just energy, it's how much extra energy. Everybody in this room, Me, we all got here because of surplus energy. So this is a chart that just sort of shows what happens if you use energy to find energy. So let's say I take a barrel of oil and I get 50 barrels back out of that, right? Because I use this barrel of oil to build a drilling rig and feed workers and pave roads and do things to get that. So I could drill for a well. If I do one barrel and get 50 back, that is the far left edge of this where you see that 50. And it says there's basically a 98% energy return right, because one divided by 50 is 2%, so we have a 98% return. That's awesome, back in the 30s, we were getting 100 to one returns on our oil fines. But by the 70s, that had fallen all the way to 25 to one, and it sounds like, wow, that's so much less, but it's not, because look at 25 to one, you're, look at that green, how much green is under there. This isn't a linear chart, it's a non-linear chart. By the 1990s, we were getting about 18 to one returns, Cool, 10 to one, still fine, surprisingly. Today, we're at um, maybe three and a half to five to one. And we're somewhere in a completely different arrangement. So mentally, draw that red line across where that today is and you'll see how much less green is in this story. That green is where we can afford to have single family households earning minimum wage supporting the whole household. That green is where lots of things are possible. Everything is possible because of the surplus energy, not the total amount. This is almost never talked about in our media, but the quality of the energy really, really matters. And the reason for this is, it takes about five times more drilling today to get about one-fifth the amount of oil. And drilling is a very energy-intensive process. Diesel motors and you know, huge rigs, lots of steel piping. So back in the day, over here on the right, we used to drill 1,000, about 8,000 feet down on average, and you would hit a big old pocket of oil or gas. Today, over on the left, we're drilling down in the Bakken in North Dakota, brilliant, brilliant technology, down 10,000 feet, turn that drill bit sideways, and go sideways for another 6, 7, 8, 9, maybe 10,000 feet, hitting a seam of of shale that's maybe as thick as this room in many cases. It's unbelievable that that can be done. We're doing it. But now we're drilling 20,000 feet, and we're getting maybe 200 to 300,000 barrels out of a well, when before we used to drill straight down 1,000 feet, and we could get up to several million barrels out of that. So we're just drilling five times as far, and we're getting one-fifth the amount out. That's fine. Um, the spindle, field, uh, spindle top field uh, way back there in Texas in the 1900s, they were drilling 1,020 feet down. Here in uh, looking at Kentucky and and where they drill out, um, all their wells are 1,000 to 3,000 in yellow, or maybe 3,000 feet, because they're drilling down straight into a standard formation. But shale is what we have left. Remember that first chart I showed you, all that red stuff? That's shale, shale oil. All right. So this is actually one of the most vital articles for 2022, came out in February, Wall Street Journal. They said something I've been talking about. Four or five years but now finally we're getting this story coming out where they said oh hey all this fracking boom that we had well how much land is left and if the fracking companies were going forward and drilling at the pace they were pre-pandemic how long would that last and the answer was they said maybe two three years that's how long the the remaining acreage would last and then it's done the oil companies bless their hearts finally got some religion about all of this and said, hey, we would like to be in business longer, and they're no longer trying to get as much production out as possible. They're trying to make their companies last for another decade or two, which is smart. So the oil companies are going to be very resistant to Biden coming and saying, just do what you did before. Just burn through all your stuff as fast as possible. Crash your markets. Burn cash, because the oil companies, while they were producing so much, destroyed capital. About $250 billion was completely destroyed in that process. We got a lot of oil. We just didn't get a lot of money back. Now they want the money back, much smarter. So we're not gonna get a resumption of oil drilling. That's part one. Part two is we can now see the end of this story too. This shale story wasn't a miracle that was gonna last forever, it was always dated. And the date is now clearly in view. And that's a big deal. Because we're still operating at the federal level as if, We'll just do it like we did before, and it'll all just magically work out. China knows better. Russia knows better. Most of uh, the world knows better. And this is why these are shale wells. These are vintages, so each one of those colored bars is a year. And so it asks and answers the question, well, if we stopped drilling, if we just stopped, how much less oil would we have in a year coming out of all the shale wells collectively? And the answer is about 45%. They have ferocious decline rates. So you have to keep drilling and drilling and drilling and drilling just to keep the output steady. And that's what we're doing right now. Eventually, that runs out. So it's pretty astonishing. It's brilliant technology. We should absolutely do it. But the mistake is thinking that we can do it again and again and again, that there's more rabbits to pull out of the hat. There might be on offshore. We don't know. But for now, I'm telling you the story that we have says, oh, oil's going to be tight, structurally tight, for years to come. Now, this is a larger chart. I know George shows this one. I love this one. Going back to the 1800s shows energy use by humans across all sorts of different types of energy, right? Traditional biomass, wood, peat, dung, stuff like that. Uh, Coal, oil, nuclear, and then all the other things up there. Um, So this is where everybody who's cut their teeth in policy, they grew up during that, that huge sweep of that particular chart. They think it's level ground. It's not. It's a really extraordinary moment in human history that is gonna be difficult to repeat. But Jennifer Granholm, who uh, was a governor, I think of, uh, was it Wisconsin? Michigan, thank you. Um, A lawyer, uh, came out of Harvard Law School uh, and is now our energy secretary. Um, Can we play this one? How many barrels of oil does the U.S. consume per day. I don't have that. Turn part. it way up. So some suggest it's about 18 million, which would suggest you're releasing less than three days' worth of supply from the Petroleum Reserve. So she'd been asked, hey, how much, how much oil does the United States consume in a day? And she's like, oh, I don't have those figures before me. <laughs> it's, you have one job, right? Like oil. <laughs> how do you not know that? It's considered, she considers it not important to know because we're gonna have some other stuff that's gonna happen magically. This is the power of having, when you have the wrong investment narrative or the wrong political narrative or the wrong social narrative in place, if your story is broken, your outcomes are gonna be just broken as well. So I'm gonna show you just how broken this idea set is. Again, she doesn't seem to understand that oil is the economy. She thinks, well, we can just run the economy by some other means, right? So, here she is uh, saying, here's how we solve the energy crisis. Ready? The only way out of these boom and bust cycles is to break that sole reliance, and that means diversifying our fuel sources by deploying clean energy. And that... Clean energy. That's it. This is how we break our reliance on fossil fuels. Clean energy. I mean, how many of you have heard the clean energy story, Right. Yeah, so this doesn't really pass the smell test and here's why. So I'm going to break that chart down I showed you very clearly. This is traditional biomass here. This is coal. This is oil. This is natural gas. Awesome. This is nuclear. This is hydro. None of those can really expand all that much with maybe the exception of nuclear. Everything else is pretty much flat out at this point in time. And it's going to be that way for a number of years, minimum. So let's go to this clean energy. What do we got? Well, there's wind. I'm sorry, three rows back, you probably can't even see that. There's solar. Only the front row can see this. Um, This is modern biofuel, so palm oil and biodiesel, stuff like that. And these are other renewables. Collectively, all of those add up to exactly nothing. Approximately. Right? And, and the reason for that, which is, I mean, just look at, the, look at the amount of how big these three are. Coal, oil, natural gas. It takes, you have to use these to make any of those other ones. There is not a wind tower in the world that went up without natural gas, coal, and oil involved, right? To make the steel, to make the polycarbonate, you know, wind vanes or the fiberglass, whatever they're doing, to pour the concrete base with the rebar, all of that, all of it takes fossil fuels. Which is fine. But the idea that you just replace this, it's just like, oh, we just, we'll just put these things up instead. And I love that they call it transitioning. It's like, oh, well, it's just like a sex change operation. We'll just decide. We'll just decide to transition. It's pretty easy. It's broken. It's, it's really, it's, it's, it's idiotic and it's dangerous level of idiocy because we don't have any adults in charge. Part of my story is we don't have serious leadership. She is not a serious leader. She doesn't know how much oil the United States consumes and says, we'll just transition. It's not serious, but what is serious is that kind of thinking is gonna break the system. All right, thanks for watching everybody. If you wanna see the rest of this, come on by, peakprosperity.com. Can't wait to see you there. See you next time.